to the Injured List Podcast, your source for all sports injury topics. For the weekend warrior to the sports fantasy guru, we keep you in the action and out of the injured list. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List Podcast, Brian Scott. last shift and all we saw during that shift was basically a rub with another duck player behind the net there you see Carl Gunnarsson coming on the ice and all of a sudden there you see Jay Bomeister kind of falling and collapsing there is Vince Dunn asking for medical attention immediately and there is the captain Alex Petrangelo as well and I mean the medics they came out I mean in a second folks to attend to Jay Bomeister the Blues defenseman you can see medical personnel in a stretcher and we have no idea who it is, if it's a player, if it's a security person. I mean, we're not going to speculate at all. I have no idea, but this is obviously a very, very serious situation. Medical personnel from the Anaheim Ducks uh, made their way down from the stands. The trainer's there. It's certainly one of the Blues players. Again, this happened during our TV timeout, and... And we have no idea who it is. Just a, just a very, very scary situation here at Honda Center in Anaheim. Darren, as we know, there are doctors at every game, medical personnel, emergency personnel, and he will get the very best care possible. And we just say a prayer at this point. Leading South Carolina State early. And there has been a major medical issue in front of the South Carolina State bench. We cannot confirm what has happened or who the player is. But as you can tell, the EMS personnel have been brought to the floor. Uh, both the uh, EMS folks here around with the NC State program, the South Carolina State folks. And there is tremendous concern for the young man who is... Uh, who is on the floor there in front of the South Carolina State bench. And, you can, you, the and the emotion in this building right now with certainly the Bulldogs, but others watching, is uh, has taken over. And this occurred at the same time we were watching the injury to, the, to Markel Johnson. And, and now all of a sudden there is... Uh, there's, this is not a good situation at all for the young man who we don't know. Uh, we cannot confidently identify or what the condition is. Well, and then, you know, for the whole NC State bench is together and holding their arms and looking down and, you know, saying a prayer. And you can it's clearly the emotion of, of the South Carolina State players is mm -hmm. just distraught. 
so. This game has come to a complete stop, obviously, while this young man is being attended to in front of the bench. This, all of a sudden, this game becomes Hell yeah. far, far, far secondary. And they are doing what they can. They're, as you can tell from some of the video there a moment ago, CPR being administrated here will come tremendous distress around the program and around that bench area. EMT and EMS folks are on the scene. We do not know the player's identity, and we certainly don't know exa the exact uh, incident that has happened to him medically here. All we can tell you is is that the folks here in Raleigh, both with the arena and with NC State, move very quickly into place. Kevin Keats and the Wolfpack have gone down, but there is grave concern here in front of the South Carolina State bench about what is uh, what has transpired here, Mike. Sudden cardiac arrest in sports. It's a rare occurrence. It can strike otherwise young and healthy athletes who engage in both competitive and recreational athletics. Many of the deaths will go unexplained, but there is usually an underlying undiagnosed cardiovascular anomaly or disease. The physiologic stresses of prolonged physical exertion may lead to chemical or structural changes in the conduction pathways of the heart, leading to fatal changes in rhythm that stops the flow of oxygenated blood to vital organs. The two incidents you just heard at the beginning of this podcast both happened within the last two and a half years. One was 37-year-old Jay Bomeister, a 17-year veteran NHL hockey player for the St. Louis Blues. And the other was Ty Solomon, a guard for the South Carolina State men's basketball team while they were playing NC State in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can hear the severity of the situation through the voices of those announcers calling the games. The response by medical personnel, including team athletic trainers, physicians, and EMS workers, was swift in both cases. Life-saving measures were initiated almost immediately, and as a result, both players survived. If you would want to be anywhere when this happened to you, on the sideline of a major professional or collegiate sport is a good place to be. Many of you are probably wondering how this could happen. How could seemingly fit and young individuals go into sudden cardiac arrest? The incidence of this happening is somewhere between 1 in 50,000 to 1 in 100,000 per year in young athletes under the age of 35. Well, for many of these individuals, they simply have no pre-existing conditions. The most frequent mechanism by which these athletes go into sudden cardiac arrest is usually due to abnormal rhythms of the ventricle that is caused by a change in a normal cardiac muscle due to fibrosis or scarring. This is usually caused by myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle tissue caused by some type of viral or bacterial pathogen that then leads to the fibrosis. Other causes can include structural heart disease, inherited rhythm disorders, diseases of the coronary vessels, and others. For the purpose of this podcast, I'm describing these things in very general terms and have simplified their description. There has been much debate and change regarding screening and professional and other high-level athletes. But again, for the purpose of this podcast, we will not get into that topic. We are going to take a quick break to acknowledge our sponsors. When we return, we will be with our guest, David McGowan, a former national team rugby professional from Ireland who played at the professional level for many years, both in Ireland and France. David is also an athletic trainer certified 
who has made a career working in sports medicine. He is joining us to share his remarkable story that you won't want to miss. We'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Sean Colas with the Perkentile and Creamery. We are the premier coffee, ice cream, and dessert bar in the Charlotte metro area. We're thrilling people with our amazing interior design, our incredible customer service, and the quality of our offerings. We have a beautifully designed 1920s mercantile-themed monochromatic throwback where people feel excited by their surroundings and blown away by their treats. We're great for business meetings, families, couples, and you. Ask about our room rentals for meetings, events, or parties. We're nestled next to the Concord Mills Mall behind Verizon in the same building as McAllister's in Concord, North Carolina. If you're in the area and you're listening to this right now, get in your car, drive over to the Perkentile, mention that you heard us on Brian Scott's amazing Injuryless Podcast 2020 and receive 25% off your purchase. Hey guys, are you looking to avoid injury when it comes to your finances? Talk to a professional who can help. Whether you are looking to get your financial house in order or simply looking for that second opinion, visit TrustTreeFinancial.com and schedule your free virtual consultation. Once again, that's TrustTreeFinancial.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Injured List Podcast. Your host, Brian Scott. We are here with our guest, David McGowan, straight from Ireland, to talk about his story. Um, topic of the show today is sudden cardiac arrest in athletics. David, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking, and glad to see you're doing well. Um, why don't you start off by just giving us a little bit of your uh, background, how, uh, what got you started in athletics, how you became involved in healthcare and what you're currently up to. And then we'll get into your story in a little more detail. Well, it all kind of started really with um, sports as usual. Um, Irish kid started off playing Gaelic football, uh, which I wasn't great at. Um, and then I made a, you know, at an early age, I made a transition to playing rugby and from there, progressed pretty quickly um, within the ranks of rugby, played, uh, you know, representative rugby underage, played international rugby underage for Ireland, and, you know, luckily enough, uh, went on to play professional in Ireland. Um, so, basically, I had an opportunity, went to play professional rugby, and it just took off um, pretty well for me. Ended up in France for five years. Played good rugby and just had a had a great way of life for a few years and um then I kind of through a couple of injuries and some head injuries here and there that I decided to call it quits in two thousand and twelve and uh had a long term American girlfriend and made the trip over. My first question that has nothing to do with healthcare is actually gonna center around what the major difference is between Gaelic football and rugby. Because I know a lot of my listeners probably don't know. Oh, man, it's completely different. Really? Yeah. See, so, yeah, I mean, as I mean, an American, we, we, we look at it all the same. I mean, Gaelic football, way more running. Okay. Um, it is a just nonstop. Those guys cover serious ground. 
Um, rugby is a lot more, the impact is just, you know, sometimes I hear people compare them. I don't think they're comparable. The, the full-on impact in rugby is pretty intense. Is that be, just because of the way the rules are? Um, or just the style well, of play, I guess? Or? So it, it's rugby is played a lot more kind of face-to-face like football is or like the line of scrimmages. Right. So, so it's, I mean, there's huge impact. It's a smaller field. There's 15 guys on each team. Okay. Um, you know, and like football, there's small, fast guys, but there's a lot of kind of big, that's heavy, where big, big, heavy, <laughs> slow guys. And that's probably where you and I would do. They don't evade many tackles. It's really about the contact area. Yeah, so. they're actually looking for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. So um, now, for David, you also work in healthcare now. Uh, no, yes. Uh, not maybe not at the time, but you eventually kind of evolved into the uh, healthcare professional. Uh, you're a certified athletic trainer. Do you hold any other credentials? Any other backgrounds? Um, I have received an awful lot of medical attention. <laughs> um, kind of why I got into, you know, went back to school. Um. Did that kind of spark your interest, all the, all oh, the stuff you kind of dealt with as a professional athlete? Well, absolutely, you know, and as much because of, you know, the good experiences, the bad experiences as well kind of sure. made me think that sometimes I'm like, could I be better at this than this person who's treating me right now? Um, which happens. I mean, it's probably happened to you. you, oh, you, yeah. you when you look back now and you think, my God, like, that person how did that person ever get touching me because <laughs> yeah you know oh yeah uh and i i also wish i knew you know what i know now then i mean i probably would have taken better care of myself and you're probably oh, looking at that yeah, too right yeah. like in the same for sure of, uh, perspective yeah um so the, you know i my educational background i started off um you know i had gotten my associate's degree in civil engineering then i had my chance to play professional rugby did that um and then when I was playing professional rugby, I continued out my bachelor's in manufacturing because I could just do it and play rugby at the same time. And sure. it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to be present at the college at all. So, and when I got out of rugby, I worked in, I worked as a project, assistant project manager for a big construction company in DC. And I was immediately was like, I've made a terrible decision. I do not belong. <laughs> I, I think I everybody at some here. point in their career has that kind of eye-opening moment when they're like, what was I thinking? Oh, yeah, I just did it, you know, because I felt I was, I should do it, and it was... It was convenient for you it was, at the time. It was convenient. It I, I, could, I could tick that box, and I yeah. thought, well, this isn't too bad. Uh, I, I was interested in it to a certain extent, but once I started working at it, I was like, oh, my God, get me out of here. I need, I need to go back to be in you know kind of a sports setup you know sure yeah i mean all those years you spent on the sidelines in the in the field of play um you got to be around probably some a lot of healthcare professionals throughout that those years oh yeah and you know a couple of big injuries you're you know i mean i've had two uh, major shoulder surgeries that involved you know six months of well six months plus of rehab each and they were your they were your best buddies during those times because every day with a PT oh, or, yeah. a, or a doc or a, you know, some kind of trainer. How did you find 
the sports medicine care in Europe back in the day when you played versus what you see now working in the American arena of sports medicine? Um, Is there a drastic difference from what you've seen? Is it similar? Is it? Well, it's kind of weird. You know, where I was, we were kind of very privileged to go. There's a European center of sports medicine is outside Biarritz in France. And I got to go there because, you know, if your profession is professional sports, you kind of, yeah, you have that option. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You're so, going to get, you're going to get funneled over there. Yeah. They're going to so, make sure you see the. Yeah. So the best the best. I went to this place. I mean, another guy who was in there who had very similar injured injury to me, both the injury and the timeline. He was the world champion motocross champion and he has since gone on to win multiple world championships in uh enduro mm-hmm. uh motorcycle racing like and then there was several professional rugby players there was some downhill skiers so we were all in this small hospital uh on the beach <laughs> um Can't go right it was it was unbelievable <laughs> like there was multiple pools it was out of this world. And, you know, those things exist here now. But yeah. back then, I was, I was blown away. It's crazy. Yeah, they're far and few, fewer between here in the States. Yeah. Maybe, you know, Europe is a little bit more condensed. Oh, yeah, for sure. So you probably have a um, better access to that. But then, you know, if you're in Bank of America Stadium, like, there's underwater treadmills in, yeah. in there. So, I mean, it, it's here, um, but it's, it's for the select few, yeah. which is, you know unfortunate but it's the way it is you know yeah for sure and so you trans so you basically you as you as your career evolved as it ended and you transitioned back into society so to speak and back into your professional world when you finished your schooling and you started your career in healthcare you you did work in some sports medicine settings as well correct you worked with the university of charlotte yeah, at well, some point, you yeah, worked. yeah. Um, that, but that was more part of my training. Training, you know, you, right, you okay. do your clinical placements. So I was with, um, you know, I did a semester with the football team um, at the university uh, in Charlotte, and you know, I did a, a high school and I worked in a PT clinic, and then my kind of first job out of school, I was working kind of. Or a solo practitioner doc, kind of sports med doc, um, which was good. You know, you learned a lot, but the volume kind of wasn't wasn't there, and it it wasn't really suiting family setup really because my my wife is the she's the earner, <laughs> and I do the picking up and the dropping off and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. uh, so then I I, I took a, a job, uh, a clinic based. Uh, job in an orthopedic um office uh, which is great for family life and it's you see a high volume of patients um so you know it it works well for me i enjoy it we have good fun you know we have good fun we have good we fun. do yeah we do have good fun <laughs> maybe too much some yeah, sometimes yeah <laughs> and you've also you also did a brief little stint with the carolina panthers in the nfl yeah so i did a summer i did a, you know they're kind of their preseason camp um so it was probably like six, six to eight weeks long, um, which was, it was awesome. You know, 
it was busy. It's been sure. very busy, but uh, yeah, it was it was good experience. Um, but it was kind of weird. I mean, you're expecting this, you know, unique thing. It's unique in the sense of the budget, but yeah, you get to see the behind the scenes access that these guys have here in professional sports and football specifically. Uh, what kind of access they have to facilities and oh yeah, that, that's care ridiculous yeah Um, access they have to uh, the most advanced technology as far as uh, sports medicine equipment and braces oh there's rehab rehab tools and yeah there's no there's no there's no cap to the yeah whatever they need it's yeah Yeah. everything's there um but at the basis of it it was just the same as my rugby career just not nearly as much money but you know, it's it's just the same thing. You're in practice, video, lunch, video, practice, <laughs> workout. You know, it's so in that sense, I was like, oh, this is kind of no different than where where I was. Just it's on a bigger scale, budget wise. You know, sure. So you know, this podcast episode is centering around sudden cardiac arrest mm-hmm. in athletics. Have you come across that throughout your career? As a practitioner, as a pra- or even when you were playing professionally, any can you recur recall any? Yeah, I had a, I had a unique experience uh, when I was playing under nineteen rugby. So they have a World Cup, like most international um, teams. Do we played a World Cup in South Africa, and it was in kind of I think it was two thousand and four. Uh, and one of our players, you know, hit the deck in the middle of a game, and that was it. Never, it was, they couldn't resuscitate him. And he, yeah, sudden cardiac death. I think he was, we were only like 17 or 18 at the time. Um, so it was crazy. Oh, I'm sure that's pretty yeah. traumatizing. Yeah. Especially it, at that age. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a unique experience. It was, it's, it's hard to process. Like we're not wired for yeah. that kind of. Um, well, I think you would agree. Event. You know, we as healthcare professionals, especially in sports medicine, um, we're constantly kind of re-educating ourselves, maintaining credentials and certifications to deal with the most traumatic event that could possibly occur. You know, fatality being it. Yeah. The ultimate. But I don't think you can ever really prepare yourself for that actual moment. It's a lot of education and repetition and practice and scenario-based training, but it's never that actual moment. It's not something people are exposed to. And I can honestly say in 18 years in a, as a healthcare provider, first as an athletic trainer, now as a physician assistant for the last 13, I've been fortunate enough to never have to necessitate somebody on the field of play. I've done it enough times in the hospital setting, in the operating room, when I worked in cardiology or cardiothoracic surgery for a brief time, but I've never luckily had to do that on the field of play. And I don't, to be honest, I mean, you're as a provider, you're kind of out there alone in most instances, especially as an ATC. Oh, it, yeah. You know, I can't imagine. It's interesting you say that because I remember after the event, um, you know, everybody was so shaken, but you know, the, the doctors, so when it happened, both, medical teams from each team just recognized 
something bad has happened here and everybody just doctors from both teams um you know obviously the on-site medical um team but you know like the pts and the people like that afterwards they were like really shaken the doctors were kind of you know you you know you, you knew they had seen that before um yeah it's kind of one of those things i think if you do see it as a provider i think you never forget yeah yeah and you know it's I and then your then your instincts and your professional training just kind of kicks in. Yeah, and I'm sure for those guys it was kind of like a blur. I'm sure. Yeah, and kind of interesting enough, a couple of years back, my brother is a physical therapist in Ireland, and it happened to him. Member of a he he was a on-site uh, PT for whatever team he was he was working for, um, and a member of the opposition team. They were these. I think these were like under 18 kids happened one of the kids in the opposite team and he ended up having to resuscitate them and but he's he said it was crazy he's like you know you go and you you recertify every year every two years or whatever um but he said when it happened it was just like boom it was all there in his head yeah it just becomes Get almost this, like root. you do that yeah you know well that's and, 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 and the kid survived it's crazy I mean, that's, that's why you do all, that's why we do all that. I mean, yeah, that's why yeah. you, every year we have to research and you stay know. up to speed on all our certifications and yeah, it's, it's, it, it needs to become like almost like a habit, right? It needs to become almost like instinct. Oh yeah. And you know, it's, he, and he, you know, he said it himself. He's like, you know, you go there and you're like, I'm never, you know, you always say, oh, I hope I'm never going to have to use this. But then all of a sudden, bang. And he's like, you know, I've done it for so many years. I've gone recertify, recertify, recertify. When the time came, it was there. Kid survived, luckily. Um, but yeah, you had to shock him a couple of times as well. You know? Oh, yeah, that oh. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's like... It's not like the movies. Oh, he's, you know, they were... He was down on his knees. Kid is lying down. He said that once he shocked him, like, he, kid, like, came up off the ground i couldn't believe it he's like scared the crap out of me yeah people aren't just springing right back up like they do on tv oh yeah this oh I'm, I'm okay yeah. <laughs> no it doesn't no, happen like no, that no the kid the kid opened his eyes but he didn't that's probably yeah not it. just that was it and then yeah. you know Ugh. yeah so now if you will i want you to share with us your personal experience because not only have you seen this as an athlete and maybe even dealt with or seen this as a healthcare provider but you've actually had this happen to you yeah so earlier this year i did two two kind of events occurred in may sometime um i woke up in the middle of the night um faced with a um, paramedic or a emt Walk into my bedroom, like, what the hell's going on here? Turns out my wife woke up. I was kind of gasping in my sleep. She, um, you know, she was like trying to wake me up and say, you, are you messing around type of thing? Uh, she called 911. I, whatever was happening to me, you know, I, I woke up, I got up out of my bed, looked up. EMT walking into my room. He froze. Two of us looking at each other. I was like, what 
after happening here, you know, they took brought me into the hospital, and they couldn't. They didn't really know whether I had had seizure or whether it was cardiac because my my troponin, kind of the marker of you know, cardiac uh, damage. Is that correct? Cardiac inflammation. Yeah. yeah. Um, wasn't that high. And I had like urinary incontinence. So they're like, I don't know, maybe you had a seizure, maybe you had a cardiac event. But you never had any anything like this happen to you before. Oh, never, no. Yeah. Um, so I was wearing a they give me a halter monitor for a month. And they said, just go back to what you were doing. And it was like activity level the same. They're like, Yeah, just you do what you were doing. And you're you're still very active. You ride oh, yeah, I was, cycle and I you... was probably the fittest I have been since I stopped playing rugby. So I was cycling, you know, depending on the weather, you know, a good 200, maybe 250 miles a week. Um, and June, June 9th, I think it was, it was a Monday night. Uh, I went to bed feeling fine. And, you know, my wife woke up to the sound of me gasping again. And and that time she knew exactly like she knew I wasn't messing around. Nine one one immediately started CPR, and she did. She did. So she was on the phone. She like, was able to pull you off the bed. No, she couldn't pull me off the bed. My wife is small, yeah, as you so know, I, I, and I'm I yeah, I'm yeah. like six five and yeah. two hundred and thirty pounds now. So she said, "I can't get him on the floor." So she started CPR on on the bed. Um, you know, like six cop cars, a fire truck and an ambulance show up and they, you know, start CPR. I don't know how many times they shocked me, um, got me to one of the hospitals in Charlotte and kind of stabilized me, had me on a cooling unit and, um, on a ventilator. I was on that, you know, maybe until... I think it was like 2 or 3 p.m. the next, the, on the Tuesday, and my wife is in the room, doctor's in the room uh, with a nurse, and they're talking, and then all of a sudden the doctor just starts shouting at the nurse to start CPR, that I was coding again. Um, at that time, they brought me in, put in an emergency, like pacer, pacing wire, mm-hmm. um, and transferred me to the, other kind of hospital system in Charlotte because they had a better cardiac unit. Yeah, you needed to be in a spe- cardiac specific. Yeah, yeah. Intensive care. Yeah, so. and they, you know, they brought me down there. I think they had already put an impella in my heart, which is a, a device that goes in basically through your groin up into the heart. It's like a catheter snakes its way up, and it basically is a ventricular assist device. It helps your ventricles pump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> um. And basically, and with the whole COVID thing, you know, my my wife drove over there. Yeah, and this was the, like right during the height of oh, all Oh, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So she drove over there. She was waiting at the hospital, and they brought me in. The doctor came out to the front door and said, he's critical. He's not stable. Um, we have to do, we have to do this ECMO put this ECMO machine on him and there's a good there's a good 10% chance he's going to lose part or all of his leg and 
the, the doctor said, if you weren't here, I would have started already, but I need you to sign this. And, you know, my wife was devastated. She's like, if I sign this and he loses his leg, you know, I'm going to blame myself and whatever, but, you know. And luckily her sister is a CRNA, a nurse anesthetist. She's like, if they're wanting to put him on that, that's his last. Do it, yeah. That's his last hope. And for those listening, ECMO is, it's an acronym. It stands for uh, Extra Corporeal Membrane Oxygenation. It's basically a device, almost like a bypass pump, I guess. It's a lung, heart right? In, heart, <laughs> yeah, it basically bypasses your heart and lungs so that you can oxygenate the blood and then get it to the vital organs while the patient is allowed to recover from either pulmonary or cardiac issues. That's what it's used for. And in, in many cases, much like yourself, it's a life-saving last-ditch treatment option. Yeah, yeah. So l- luckily I got on it and I, I did well. You, did, you and, did really well. Yeah, I did really well. Um, and so I went on it on the Tuesday. I think I was back off it again like Friday night. Yeah. Um, progressed well. I think, you know, brain function. You know, th- that was the, the bigger question then. Once they got the ECMO off, I was like, like, this guy was in ventricular fibrillation for like eight minutes. Right, you've been without basically no oxygenation or no oxygenated blood getting to your brain. Your your heart wasn't pumping. You were being reset, trying to be resuscitated multiple times. I mean, every minute that goes by is increasing the chance of permanent irreversible brain damage and organ damage. Very scary. Um, sometimes nobody really knows until all that stuff comes off and you're allowed to kind of wake up and they see where you're at. Yeah. I mean, that you know, once they kind of knew that I was coming off the ECMO and the, the impella, they took the impella out then on the Saturday and extubated it on the Sunday. Then the, obviously the big question was like, what are, what are we going to be left with here? Um, and you know, during that week, I think the, um, so my father-in-law, he's a he's a physician as well, and he was talking to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist was kind of saying, "I think he's going to be like one of these guys who just opens his eyes and is like, what the hell's going on?'" And that was pretty much how it was. I mean, yeah. the first day I was very irritable and probably a bit aggressive, didn't really know anyone, and then the the, the next day it was like, you know, I think I said to the doctor like. You know what's my what's the fastest way I can get out of here and go home? What is you the know? first? What is the first kind of recollection or thought that you had come into your head when you first started waking up? Do you I, I do you recall any of the events of the night that you? You know, so I spent a, a, the second week. Then I spent in the hospital, um, and honestly, I don't know things that happened on the last day. I could have said they're on the first day. I have no kind of island system. Yeah. Um, for the events, you know, I remember conversations I had, but I, you know, the, the first thing that I do remember that I was reminded of afterwards and I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that is they had me, my wife on loudspeaker on the phone because she wasn't, you know, she with was never, COVID, she was never allowed in the hospital. Right, with COVID, a lot of patients, family members were not being allowed to visit or yeah. sit at the bedside because yeah. there was fear that they may contract or spread the virus. And so unless it was like end of life moment, yeah, they, they were, or a birth, I think of a child, they weren't allowing patients, family members to be at your side. So 
you can imagine what David was going oh, through. She she was and the, his wife. The nurse was FaceTiming my wife maybe once or twice a day, showing me, talking to her. And that was that's all she saw. Of all um, the times to go into cardiac arrest. I know. Typical of me. Uh but but yeah, I, I remember her voice when they were taking me off the ventilator. And I was, you know, she was saying, I was on loudspeaker on the phone. I'm like, damn, I kind of remember that. But then there's so much other stuff that happened. I was like, oh, I don't sure, have a clue. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you know, I kind of, I didn't, I didn't remember my wife for the first, I didn't remember anyone for the first day. Yeah. Um, which I think she was kind of devastated by. I'm sure that was know, very, she was she was, was delighted I was oh, alive, but then at the same time at the same time you're scared because it's like you know, is this what I'm left with now? Like, yeah, is this, what, I, I this was, is what David is going to be. Yeah, like, yeah. And I, I was quite aggressive to people like yeah. the doctors, like like you know who there for you and who you know what are you doing and in the I guess it's kind of like wake, waking form. up in a bad dream and not knowing where you are oh, yeah. when you stand in front of you and and then with the ECMO like you're so heavily sedated yeah. that you don't twitch or move that you know oh my eyes were bloodshot. Like, it looked like it was coming down off a serious, you know, binge of booze and drugs and kind of felt that way as well. Um, but yeah, you know, the next day then, um, you know, it just progressed throughout the week. But, you know, you, you remember, you, you ever see Fifty First Dates? Yes. Drew Barrymore? Yes. And you remember Ten Second Tom? Yes. Yeah, I was like 10 minute Dave. Like, you know, every 10 minutes I was like, who are you? <laughs> and my brother was like, uh, you know, I'm I'm Connor. I'm your brother, and had to remind me. So I was like, all right. But then we I, we would go back into conversations that were, you know, unique to us and memories that from nobody childhood else would know, that right? nobody else yeah. would know. So he's like, he's there, but he needs to be reminded that I'm his brother every ten minutes. And then <laughs> you know, the next day was fine and progressed well after that. You know, but yeah. I was lucky. I mean, you know, everyone's like, it's a miracle you're alive. I was like, it's a miracle. I'm I've got permanent brain damage. Yeah. That, that's, that's the big miracle. And I think a lot of that have, uh, must, I mean, I don't know what else you could attribute it to except for the fact that you've been an athlete all your life. You competed at a very high level. You maintain a pretty high level of fitness even after your sports career was over. I don't know how else you could pull through something like that and not look back and say, yeah, that's probably why what helped me get yeah. through it. I mean, that's, that's what basically all the doctors said is like, we're all increasing our activity levels um and how how old are you now 34 34 um but yeah it's 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 nuts like and so you know we talked a little bit about why these things would happen in somebody in your age group especially in the professional athletes we talked about jay boomeister we played a clip from his uh cardiac arrest um nhl hockey player for the st louis blues we played a clip from uh, one of the collegiate basketball players for South Carolina State when they were playing NC State up in Raleigh last year. What do they think triggered yours? I mean, we've talked about several other reasons why this would happen. There's electrical mi mixed or broken electrical signals to the heart that can cause it. There's mechanical problems to the heart, whether it be coronary vessels that aren't normal, whether it be the myocardium of the heart muscle itself that's not normal. What what do they think looking back and after you've gone through all your tests and your follow-ups, what do they think now was the, the root of your cause? So they have come across, you know, areas of scarring on my heart muscle um, and, you know, some scarring on my septum and, you know, between the, between the ventricles. Um, 
you know, there, there was a lot of talk of COVID in the hospital and they were testing and they were, you know, they were asking me, but did you, you know, did you have a bad flu last year or were you sick? Or I was like, I don't think I've ever had the flu. And we're starting to see that now with a lot of the COVID. They're starting to do a lot of cardiac tests and workup on people who've been diagnosed with yeah, COVID. Yeah, so they, basically they kind of said, we think you had viral myocarditis. I had no, I was negative for COVID antibodies. I was negative for... Um, and myo, you know, myo, basically myocarditis is basically inflammation of the muscle tissue which can then cause scarring as it heals. And that's another, another known cause for sudden cardiac arrest in your age range and professional athletes. Yeah, so basically I have, I have always had a chronically low heart rate. Braid, uh, so a bradyarrhythmia or somebody yeah. with a slow heart rate can certainly be predisposed. Yeah, so basically, yeah, basically said, you know, this scarring could kind of alter the conduction of the electricity in your heart, mix that with chronic with scar tissue in the heart muscle. Yeah. And... You just got a recipe for something major to happen. You know, the first time I was in the hospital, I was sitting watching TV and my heart, you know, all these, all these, uh, like a crash team burst through the door. And I was like, hey, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. I was, I was watching TV and they're like, your heart rate's at 33. I'm like, oh. Look at that. <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> they were like, we, we, they, they thought I was, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, for, for those listening, <laughs> for those like, listening uh, that's not a normal heart rate. Uh, basically, anything below 50 is considered bradycardia. Uh, some people define it as 60, but when you start getting down that low, you can have trouble perfusing your organs and you can basically start dying. So, when us healthcare providers see a heart rate that low, we pray that the person's not having any symptoms that may be indicative of decreased oxygenated blood flow to the brain, to the other <laughs> organs. So the Russians see somebody sitting there with a heart rate of 30, must have been like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But then I have um, a pretty high ejection fraction. And, and I, that goes back I, to your training and yeah, your, so your like fitness. And my heart pumps a lot of blood. You have a big stroke volume. You're yeah, able to take yeah. in a lot of blood and pump it out forcefully. So that your heart doesn't have to beat as fast as, say, somebody like me. Yeah. So I think my stroke volume was like 170. And the, I remember the, the guy who did the ultrasound after the major event, he was like, I've never seen somebody pump that much blood like three days after, after a massive a heart attack. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't, okay. Thank you. <laughs> no, thanks, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's, you know, there's, my fitness definitely had a part to play, but there was so many, you know, so much luck involved. Well, you take, you, know? you take your fitness, you take your overall health, you sprinkle in a little bit of luck. Yeah. And this is what happens. You have a, a miracle outcome. And yeah. Here you and are. You know, like, like, it's kind of odd, but uh, it was probably lucky that that first event happened because my wife did not try and rouse me out of my sleep and say this, that, you know, she just heard that noise yeah. again she knew it she opened her eyes and she is and just, not a healthcare provider she is absolutely not a healthcare provider uh, she's actually a terrible patient as well <laughs> but she, she just and it's she's looking into action. We, we have two young kids yeah. so she's a light sleeper she just heard that noise and just put her hand on the phone immediately called 911 and started doing cpr so if i hadn't had that first little glitch 
in May, yeah, maybe she would have spent a couple of minutes trying to rouse me out of his sleep. You know, the guy in the first hospital recognized early that this yeah, guy does not belong here. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, you know. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff, man. Yeah, and then, you know, I got off ECMO with my leg intact. And always a good thing. Always a good thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know, every t- every time I've gone back to the to the hospital, they're saying, you know, everything is just going back to your baseline. How you long know? has it been now? This is June, you said, right? I just had my three month Shit, follow up. It's only been three freaking months, four months. Yeah, and the like, you know, my so my troponin, which is the craziest thing, and maybe you can explain better the scale of how it's measured, the high sensitivity troponin test which i think a normal rate is or a normal volume is below 20 20 is it micrograms I, I it's know. a low it's a it's usually like a 0.00 like yeah, yeah i maxed out the test at twenty five thousand <laughs> when you came in originally with your yeah originally and then the last day i went back it was six so that's an indication of cardiac stress it's I, and i'm not the expert on this yeah. We have people that we'll talk to in, in this episode earlier. Um, this is recorded, so but we'll figure it out. It, yeah. it's, I, I just know it's an indi- indicator of cardiac stress yeah. and potentially of ischemia. Basically, it's if it starts going up, that's a bad thing. Yeah. So look, you don't want your luckily mine is, is, is back down at six, and you know uh, you'll that, probably always have some slightly elevated troponins. For the rest of your life, I think, to some degree. Awesome. Well, I, I mean, I'm <laughs> guessing. I don't know. but Yeah, probably. Um, and then, my, you know, the vascular surgeons, you know, the sites where the ECMO, like there was some vascular, you know, they had to do some repairs of the vasculature. Yeah, so for I, people that don't know, they shove a, a massive-sized, basically, cannula up through your femoral artery, thread it up to the heart. <laughs> but your femoral artery is... Not one you want to be messing with. Yeah. And so there are complications that are associated with just that, just doing that part of the procedure. Yeah. And so you were having some issues with that afterwards as well. Oh, the nerve pain was crazy. I mean, your femoral artery, for those of you who don't know, is right next to your femoral nerve, which is a major nerve in the front part of your thigh that runs through the groin, which controls major muscles in the lower part of your legs and thigh. So it's an important structure, both of them are. Um, You don't want to be messing with those unless you're... (laughs) Trained professional. <laughs> yeah, l- luckily they were. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, the nerve pain after was just crazy. Yeah. Like nothing I've ever, ever experienced. But that is, it's kind of weird. It all kind of went away in the space of about three days. Now, the inside of my leg down to my knee is numb. You know. Still. Oh, yeah. And it just had a, you know, that might never really fully go away. Well, but you it, have, but it, usually but you have painful. about 18 months where the nerve can kind of continue to regenerate. So I wouldn't. Hang up the towel yeah. just yet. <laughs> well, it's and it's it's not painful. It's only really it's only noticeable, you know, if you touch touch it. You know, it feels yeah. like your gum feels after you've been to the dentist. Yeah, and that's that's uh, pretty typical of a lot of areas where people have surgery. To be honest, like yeah, people who have ACL reconstructions on their knee will always have kind of a little patch in certain spots of their knee. So it's it's usually just a annoyance thing more than it is a functional deficit. I mean, it usually doesn't cause any major long term problems, but it's annoying. Oh yeah, no. It, Honestly, I don't even compare to what it was at the beginning, yeah. which was, it was excruciating, but I'm 
kind of take pride in not calling the doctor asking him to write me a pain medication so sure. i just like put up with it for it was probably a good month and a half but then it just just went away in the space of a couple of days uh-huh. um which was great because i was getting worried about it so clean bill of health right now what kind of restrictions i got you on um so last week they allowed me to st- you know when i was released from hospital it was like you can walk <laughs> around your neighborhood um which then went to brisk walking um now i can start cycling again now let me um, back up for a minute because you actually had a pacemaker put in oh yeah pacemaker and defibrillator put in defibrillator, yeah. which for those of you listening at home that don't know is basically a little device that gets implanted underneath the skin just near your clavicle or your shoulder blade uh, i'm sorry your collarbone and basically just has a, electrodes that run down to the heart tissue and monitors your heart rate monitors your rhythm and if need be it'll actually give you a little jolt which you don't necessarily feel that kicks your heart rate up if it needs to or will actually shock your heart if it needs to yeah exactly um so it, and I'm kind of learn more about it every time I go back. They're pretty sophisticated things, and they're um, real small, right? I mean, how big is the one you have there? I mean, I can actually I can feel it on my skin. You know those old metal Zippo lighters? Mm-hmm. It's about that size. That's pretty small. That's, that's it's much smaller than it used to be. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like yeah. under, under your skin. Um, but yeah, so I'm set at sixty now. My my base heart rate will never go below that, um, and it's not only, you know, it, it'll shock you and it, it administers what it determines as the necessary shock, whether I'm having a mild um, arrhythmia, it'll shock me. Or if it, um, if I'm in full-blown, you know, arrest, fibrillation, it'll go off. But luckily it hasn't done either of those two things. Good. Um, but it's weird. It just, now they're packed full of accelerometers. So sometimes when they make an adjustment to how sensitive it picks up movement, it affects how my heart rate increases, which is weird. Uh, it's really annoying oh, really? to try and get used to. You know, it's fine at the moment, but as my fitness starts to increase, you know, they'll have to make adjustments. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, in the early stages, when I was walking, I was walking up a hill. And I, you know, I'd look at my, you know, I'd be gassed, out of breath. I'm like, I'm walking. I'd look at my watch, uh, heart rate monitor, and uh, my heart rate's like at 70. So, of course, I can't walk up this hill. I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting You're any not oxygen. Blood, man. Yeah, so, so they can alter that. They alter how it increases. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's going to be probably like a trial and error kind of thing over the next few months. Oh, yeah. I mean, even for a while. As yeah. you, like you said, as your fitness increases. Yeah, they, they, they said, you know, as your fitness increases, feel free to just give us a call and come in here. And it, it's really quick how they make adjustments. I'm surprised and they can't scary. just do it from the comfort of their living room these days. Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, I have a little modem at home that downloads everything at night. It's beside my bed. I go, you know, when I go to bed, it just You're down- like Iron Man. You downloads. plug in. And yeah, there you go. Next thing you know, yeah. you're going to show up in the office with a little glowing device in your chest oh i i had a guy in i was rooming a patient a couple of weeks ago and he started talking about because he had like he had some implanted device him or what it was but he started talking about people hacking them 
I was like, dude, stop, just stop talking. I don't want to hear this. Yeah, but, let's not go. You know, there. well, you know, he's like, it's an electronic device, and it's, you know, it, 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 it sends out a signal. He's, I'm like, just stop. <laughs> I don't want to know that. <laughs> Your best, my not pacemaker could be hacked. I'm like, stop. There are some things that are best left unknown. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, great story, man. But uh, yeah. great to have you in to talk about it. You look good. I got to say, uh, and how. You weren't even out of work that long. How, uh, how many would, days of work did you miss? Well, I would have missed. Um, I would have been back after about a month and a half, but then, like at one of my kids' schools, there was a COVID scare and they closed for two weeks. So it was about two months, but it should have been, you know, a month and a half. But I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad it was a two months because when I started back at work, you know, you, you're you're chomping at the bit to get back. And then once I got back, I was like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted after yeah, half yeah, a day. You, know? you definitely took a little time to kind of bounce back. I saw it. But yeah. But, you know, and understandable. I, can, I can even even see in pictures of myself from even like a month and a half ago. I was still kind of pale and rough looking. <laughs> we got guys that have rotator cuff surgery that haven't even made it back yet. <laughs> you know what? I, I you know, know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I digress. But anyway, um. So amazing story, uh, and and what a great perspective that you place on it because you not only were you a professional athlete, you're also a healthcare provider, yeah. and you lived through a cardiac arrest to talk about it. It's amazing. Like, yeah. how, many, how many times does anybody get a chance to talk to someone like you who's gone through that, who has the knowledge you have about that whole scenario, has lived through it, is recovering from it, and can talk about it? I mean, geez, like... Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, I suppose, a unique perspective, but it's kind of weird though. Then, because like, when everybody asks me, you know, people say, "Oh, like all these athletes might have myocarditis, and should they play, and should they be allowed to play?" And I'm kind of like, "No, they shouldn't." But yes, they should. But you know, there's so many kind of like if I look back now, and if I was an athlete during COVID times, now I'd still probably play, even though. I almost died from potentially having viral myocarditis. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there's kind so of, much, it's weird. It's there's been so much like back and forth about like the whole cardiology workups pre-participation and stuff. I know Europe like has been doing it on like everybody recently. And I know the Americans haven't really gone that route. They still have like a checklist you kind of have to meet before they actually do like pre-cardiac screenings on people. Mostly it has to do with like family history and symptoms yeah but i mean like take a guy like you i mean do you even check off any of those boxes like would, would no. you even get tested today like if you were no family history no known exposures no perfectly and i you know i've had um i've had echocardiograms done in the past as part of pre-participation stuff and was fine and no no family history um but it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of like if we went to our waiting room and did an MRI of every right. man's shoulder who was over the age of 45, no matter what they were in, in to see us for, would there be a rotator cuff tear or, you know. Right. And it goes that way. If we scan every athlete, are we going right. to find people who have no known exposure to COVID or and they're going to have scarring on their heart i don't know i mean i mean just yeah i mean 
there's no way to know. And the problem is we, we want an answer and people expect an answer now right. and medicine just doesn't work that way. You know, it'll be, be years before they start oh, yeah. looking back at the data. and until the, until the cost of all this stuff comes down, which it may never, uh, there's not going to be all this screenings. And... Yeah. but Now, how has this uh, altered your, or has it altered your perspective uh, on healthcare as a, uh, are you approach? I mean, you don't really work much as an athletic trainer in the field anymore. No, no. But does this change anything about how you go about providing care to people? Or I mean, do you are you like uh, maybe I should be paying more attention to this or that? Or have you have you reached out to like former colleagues who are or competitors or teammates of yours and say, hey, listen, uh, take a listen to this and tell me what you think, or maybe you should watch yourself. I mean, I don't know. Like, has it, how does this changed you? Um, or has it? I mean, from I what I can tell, I, you're the same David McGowan that you were. Yeah, I mean, pre June, it hasn't changed me that much. Um, you know, look, bad bad things are can happen, and you just can't go through your life, you know, fearing them. Now, you can you shouldn't be negligent, but you just, you know. Can I say shit happens? Absolutely. You can say whatever the fuck you want on this podcast. <laughs> right. This is my podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, look. The thing about it is that when very emotional when you came out and got home from the hospital and started thinking about it and, you know, you're like, why did this happen to me? And, you know, people are saying, oh, isn't, isn't God great that, you know, and I'm like, well, why did it happen in the first yeah, place? Yeah, where was he when... <laughs> Um, Where was he when I was, you know, you know but, unconscious on my bed? You know, uh, then I go away and say, like, I was the fittest I could have been. I took right. good care of myself. I enjoy having a beer or two. Shit happens. I survived. And, you know, I am I can get hung up on it, but I'm not going to get an answer, really. No. Not this year, anyway. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe when they decipher all the data from, <laughs> I gotta look through all the from from twenty twenty, yeah, and there there, we can kind of see patterns. But you know, it hasn't, you know, and I was never really that. I was never really a negligent person. I didn't take risks. I, you know, didn't take uncalculated risks. Right. Um, I was good at my nutrition. I didn't take any weird pre-workout energy supplements or any of those high levels of caffeine you know i was yeah. good to myself and it just happened and you know that's just the way it is and you know yeah you're right you know it, it's crazy because you it, we all know people that do questionable things in terms of their sports nutrition um uh, or their social kind of activities sure you know and i can look back and say like i've never never done a line of cocaine you know if if if, if i was out on that monday or sunday and was drinking heavily and had taken drugs and it happened to me i would you know how would you feel if you survived knowing that you probably contributed to that yeah. you know i don't have that problem right so i'm just like my perspective yeah. You know, I was, I was never into that kind of stuff. I always frowned upon it, still frown upon it. And I'm I'm glad I didn't knowingly cause my what happened to me. Just happened yeah. and 
And you're you're here today because of it, because otherwise you would not have been. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Looking so. at everything, uh, you know, looking at the whole picture, there's no doubt in my mind. And I've, you know, this is coming from a guy who's not only worked in sports and sports medicine for 18 years, but I did a short stint in cardiothoracic surgery prior to you and I working together. And so I've seen those patients that you talk about here who do dabble in those things. Yeah. And they do not come off of ECMO, some of them. Yeah, that, of them. yeah, yeah. You, they do great on ECMO, yeah. but we can't turn it off. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've seen firsthand what that lifestyle could do to people. And, um, and to be honest, uh, I talked to Dr. one of our doctors that we work with, and I told uh, him when we heard that you were on ECMO, I actually turned to him and said, that's the best thing I've heard all week. Because I knew that if anybody was going to have a chance on ECMO, it was going to be you, knowing your background, knowing your, your health. Yeah. And I was yes. like, thank God they put him on it. I said, because otherwise he might not have a chance. At least he has a chance now. And I never expected you to be off of it as fast as you were, but yeah. I knew you needed it. And I, and I, when I heard that you were on it, I'm like, thank God they got him on it. Hopefully it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And it did. And it worked great. So yeah. Yeah. So kudos, man, to the, the yeah. team taking care of you. But they, yeah. they did the right thing. Uh, it's not, it's nuts because, you know, I, I go back. I was one of the appointments, my follow-up appointments. One of the ladies walked into the room and she was like, "Holy shit!" And I was like, uh, "Excuse me." She's like, "You don't remember me, but I was I was a nurse on the floor." She's like, "I never I never thought I'd see you again." And she was she worked she was a clinical nurse at you know by the time I was following up, and she was like, "You definitely kind of." put everybody on a fitness plan, yeah. <laughs> you know, unknowingly. So yeah, it's, it was funny. It, for us healthcare providers, there's definitely some uh, wake-up calls, and there's definitely patients that we come across throughout our careers that kind of uh, make us look in the mirror and say, hey, uh, that could be me right there. Yeah. You know, we all have family. We all oh, have yeah. loved ones. We all have friends and uh, spouses. Nobody wants to see people you know like that. And, you know, uh, healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, PAs, trainers – we all take that shit home with us sometimes, unfortunately, but you know, sometimes it's, it helps you get through it and it helps you realize like maybe you need to make some changes in your own life too. So yeah, yeah, for sure. It's an inspiring yeah. story and I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to come and share it with me and yeah. share it on my podcast and share it with those people who are listening or will listen. Yeah. And, um, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, David McGowan. Thank you. <laughs> Still here. Overhead Yeah, I mean, it's it's nuts. I mean, I, I you know, a, a lot of the stuff they did. I mean, I, I don't understand it still. Um, oh, there's. A, I'm sure there was a lot that nobody really knew. I'm sure the, the providers at some point were kind of like, "Uh, shit, I don't even know what that means." But yeah, let's just keep it, tracking it. It, it. it was funny. <laughs> so, to be fair, I, I'll not mention the doctors because I think they broke a lot of rules to allow my family members to see me, sure. you know, um, but my brother was talking to one of them and he's like, you know, what's kind of the prognosis long-term for him? And the guy was like, Oh dude, we have no idea. I mean, we didn't, they real, he shouldn't really be here. <laughs> so I gotta be honest, dude, that's, that's how I would answer that question. And I, as a provider appreciate that he was at least honest because, Oh to say, to make up some cockamamie number or put a percentage or like a timeline on things like that, you just, nobody can. Like, you can't, yeah. that stuff's not in textbooks. Like, you can't flip a page to play, you know, page 100 and be like, oh, 
Uh, uh, let me look at this graph yeah. and check out and be like, up oh, there you go. 20% chance, three months. No, you can't do that. Yeah. So the fact that he actually acknowledged that he didn't yeah. know and was honest was, is that's the way it should be, man. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of is like, look, I, I don't want to, like, he, he has progressed. You know, we would usually measure some of these progressions in weeks. Right. And he's, he's knocked through a couple of those in, since he woke up yesterday. So, like, he's progressed. His progression so far is outrageous, but we and, didn't and really, I'm sure we that didn't... they were sitting there looking and being like, "We didn't expect him to do that," and uh, at the same yeah. time, they're probably like uh, cautiously optimistic yeah. about what's about to happen next. But you, <laughs> but you want to be careful what you say to the family, right? right? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you, because they're probably sitting there like, "Holy shit!" Like, look at this level come down, or look at what he's doing today. And then they're probably not even mentioning anything to your family until they actually ask about it because they don't want to get too far ahead of themselves let yeah, alone make yeah. the family feel like I, I, there's it's, all this optimism my my father my, my father knows an ophthalmologist and he he does you know he does retinal surgeries and um and he kind of was saying to the cardiologist early on he's like kind of like dude you don't get her speaking about my wife like don't get her hopes up too much but at the same time, he's like, I knew exactly what he meant. Like, sometimes you've done this so many times. Sometimes you just have a like, really good feeling that, like, you know, this person is going to see again. Or Dave is going to open his eyes and be like, what the fuck? And that basically happened. Like, they just yeah. woke up and be like, what, what, what the hell is going on here? Do you know? Well, you know, I lost my father about two weeks before you went into the hospital yeah. with your cardiac arrest. And my father died from cardiac arrest related to other things. And this, the situation was actually eerily similar. I mean, obviously my father was a lot older and he had some other medical things going on. Yeah. But basically my mom heard him fall over in the bathroom and had to try and resuscitate him and fire department, police officers, the whole work showed up because my father was a fireman in the community. And um, I knew when I got on the phone with the doctors because they usually contact, contacted me directly because they knew my my family didn't really have any background in medicine. I knew that the prognosis was not good. But when I heard that, what was going on with you, it's funny, like, my reaction was completely different. Yeah. Um, granted, you're not my father, but, you know, we no. have come to know each other yeah. over the last, uh, since you started working with us, yeah. we've hung out socially, we have some mutual friends and whatnot. Um, and I, in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way. Like, this dude's going to rock this. Like, there's no way. Uh, and when I heard they had a on ECMO, like I said before, I'm like, yeah, he'll, he'll be all right. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be as fast as it was. Yeah, I, I mean. You definitely kind of blew me out of the water. There, I, don't, I don't think everyone in the office shared that sentiment. I, think, I don't think well, so I, either. I think but once they heard ECMO, they were like, oh. I don't no. think a lot of them knew, um, to be honest, like just how grave. Well, they, they knew how grave it was, but I don't think they realized that there was still some hope. I think a lot of them were really feeling down. Yeah, I tried to encourage everybody or the people I at least I spoke to about it. Like, he's young, he's fit. This is a freak thing, but he's on ECMO. If he has a chance, this is it. Like, yeah. what? Don't you know? Give up. Yeah, yeah. And you can ask the the doctor I work with, who you know. He'll tell you. I told him that. Like he, I told it to him. Yeah. I said I have experience. I have some experience, not a lot. I have some experience with ECMO. The physicians I worked with. At my last place of employment down here when I started, who's also a friend of mine, is an ECMO guy. 
And yeah. he basically taught me about it, explained a lot about it to me, and we used it quite a bit where I was before, and I've seen good things happen from it. When yeah. used appropriately in the right patient, it's a lifesaver. Yeah. And, you know, you think so. if you're reasonably fit and healthy, you just you recover faster. I mean, we see that in in the, you know, the knees and shoulders that yeah, are done it goes in with our any, office. Any injury. Yeah, sure. It's like, you know, you're healthy, you just... Everything's better. Your skin looks better afterwards. Yeah. It's just everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know it's it's crazy. You know, I I like twenty twenty man. I keep saying it. Like oh, in all our other podcasts God. and the special guest appearances I do on my buddy show, I'm always like, fucking twenty twenty. Yeah, it's like just a wacky time right now. Yeah, and my, and my father in law is pissed because like he's an ophthalmologist. It was supposed to be their year, like 2020. <laughs> it's like all their advertising, all, all their advertising for like 2020 vision. Uh, is this just is the year of the ophthalmologist. Yeah. Huh? No, no, not, not to anymore. be. No. <laughs> Poor guys. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, I feel bad. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll concede 2021 to them. Yeah. I mean, that's, we'll pretty, that's, still, that's pretty good vision still. Yeah. <laughs> pretty damn good vision actually. <laughs> I know a lot of people that would love 2021, that. <laughs> Former rugby player, current athletic trainer certified, cardiac arrest survivor, friend of the show, David McGowan, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. All right. Good luck with everything and uh, Godspeed, brother. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Uh, I love drinking oh, yeah, beer yeah, here, too. We got a clean glass. Let's get that on the... There we go. There you go. I just, that's how you end it.